I can remember a guy who was, who's older. I think he was in his late fifties, early sixties. And he took me aside and said, Hey, John, don't sacrifice your family for money. Mm. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brian Lubin, bringing you the mindsets, the methods, and the actionable steps for you to earn freedom in your life and business today. This show is doubling about every single month. So if you are new here, we have five episodes per week, three five-minute actionable episodes per week, and two multimillionaire entrepreneur interviews per week. If you have been listening and you've been enjoying the show, take a second, pause it, Please leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be appreciated. But today, today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a freaking podcast for you. Today's one of those podcasts where we hit on so much good stuff outside of just business. Oh, and don't worry. We talk about business in the back half. The cat that's coming on today has got $300,000 passive income coming in that he doesn't have to raise a finger for. So this man is a powerhouse, and he knows what he's talking about. But we actually begin this podcast with a story about how John Edwin's family left to go to Disney World, and he felt like he couldn't because his business would fail if he was gone for a week. So that's where we begin the story about family, about faith, about relationship with spouse on your entrepreneurial journey, with your wife, with your husband, with your family. This is the most important stuff, ladies and gentlemen. So we begin the first half of the interview talking about best practices for your spouse, your family, and also for your friendships. So we talk a lot about mastermind, a lot about accountability, and then we get into how John went from being a personal trainer and starting up a company for that when he was in his early 20s to jumping into multifamily real estate and then yielding this massive passive income that he has today. So today is a fantastic episode all the way through. You're going to want to listen to the very end. If you're an accredited investor and this message resonates with you today, we've got the place for you. If you are interested in GoBundance, go into the show description, click a link, you can book a call with me directly and we can talk about it because this tribe has changed my life, changed John's life, and I'm not going to stop talking about it. I'm going to shout it from the high heavens because this is the freaking real deal. So without any further ado, let's get to it. John Edwin. John Edwin. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Let's go. Man, it's going to be an awesome conversation we're about to have. I can't wait, man, because you and I talked a little bit. We've got a couple of different angles that we want to go to really provide the maximum amount of value today. First, I want to let you open up with this. Let's actually talk about that concept that we were just discussing about the semi-retired. Let's talk about that and transition it into how you do that with your family, with your spouse. And then we can take that transition. And then in the back half, we'll finish up with the financials and all that good stuff. But Drop some value on them, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. When I came out of college, man, I didn't, I mean, I had nothing. I had no idea exactly what I was going to do. I went to school. I was going to be a physical therapist. And that was what I thought I was going to be from when I was, I think, 13 or 14 years old. I had some, I had to go to see a physical therapist for a while. I was a really strong athlete and had to, my body had to get repaired. And I was intrigued at that time. And I was like, man, this is what I'm going to do. And went to college, have a degree in exercise science. My senior year, I interned the entire year. And I was like, man, am I going to go? Because I was going to go get my doctorate in physical therapy. And it just, to me, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And obviously things shift from 13 to 21. But I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. I sold Cutco all through college. And shout out to Cutco. My son is oh, man. right now, day two of training by either tomorrow or the next day, his Cutco career will start. So if you want some knives, hit me up. But uh, they that penny, me, baby. Dude, I and the rope and the leather. <laughs> awesome. They they taught me so much. Ran a branch for them when I was in college, and then uh, so I thought naturally I'm going to go into sales, and went into sales for a brief period of time with a large company doing business to business. Didn't really like the product, and my wife was like. Hey, you're you've been an athlete your whole life. You're you can relate to people, become a trainer. I was like, oh, okay, great. But then I realized very fast that becoming a trainer is not so easy just because you like to work out. You have to build a business and all of that. And I was really fortunate in my first few years to use all that sales experience to connect with people. By year two, I was the top trainer on the whole East Coast. And by year three, I launched my own LLC at 25 and took off and never looked back. To answer your question, Brian, you were asking, how did I change into becoming, quote unquote, semi-retired? And here's my why, because everyone has to have a why, and it has to be really strong. Otherwise, it's not truly a why. My wife and I, we got married at 21, had our first at 24. Luke, who's upstairs, he's 18 now, did not expect to start having kids so young. And my wife's family loved Disney World, and they were going to Disney, and they're like, hey, you guys should come. And I'm like, it's not the cost of me going to Disney, it's the cost of me trading my time for money. And what I'll lose by not being what by not being home and working with my clients. So that week, like a couple of days later, I was like sad. And one of my clients said to me, and she owned a lot of real estate, she's John, you need to learn to make money in your sleep. Now super powerful. I'm 25 years old. I'm like, I n- never, I don't understand this concept. And and she started explaining to me, like, hey, start buying real estate now. And basically, that was 18 years ago. I, I bought my first property my first investment property. And then I bought, I did everything wrong. So it took me a year and a half to get in and out of that one. <laughs> and then that's I was upside pretty, down. That's pretty 2008. Usual. Yeah. Yeah. And then 2008 hit. So I was upside down in that property because the bank valued it way higher than it, it was a total disaster. So that, this is a disaster story. Real estate is not always sexy. Anyway, I bought another property. I kept fostering my personal training business and opening gyms and doing different things. And then fast forward to the pandemic, the pandemic hit and it was illegal to work in Philadelphia. Like all gyms shut down. And so our facility completely shut down. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to earn money? But throughout the whole way, we'd been building such a powerful stream of residual income through long-term rentals that I was like looking at what we're doing, man, I'm starting, I'm still crushing it. Let's just keep buying for, and then So the pandemic really taught me that I didn't have to kill myself working 60, 70 hours a week, that I can now just handle a handful of clients working maybe 15, 16 hours a week. And that's really because I'm passionate about it. And the residual end of the passive income is phenomenal. 
Wow. Oh my God. So a weird takeaway that I just took from that was your first deal, not only was it a terrible deal pre-2008, which means that you severely messed it up <laughs> to be a bad deal before 2008. No, it turned into a bad deal when the <laughs> and then took, fallout happened. Yeah. That and was, so, so your first deal goes as poorly as possible, right? Yeah. But yeah. you kept going. Yeah. You got to so, in, guys. For people that are listening right now that maybe haven't gotten into their first real estate deal, and I know that there's a lot of y'all making a lot of money and you still haven't gotten in your first real estate deal because you're saying, oh, waiting for the market to go down, waiting for the market to go down. Sometimes it really is just about taking that first step. Actually, I'd say all the time, probably. By the way, I still own that first property, Brian, and it's 10x since then. Yep. Doing just fine with that one. Exactly. So you talked about this Disneyland story and about having stress leaving what you're doing to go down and enjoy time with your kids and your wife. How does she handle this? And how was this relationship while you were doing that? Because I already foresee the answer because I've been there. I'm just curious because you were talking about how one of your superpowers is actually relationship with spouse and with your family through this entrepreneurial journey. And I really want to hit on this with you. So can you walk us through the transition here and then maybe give us some tips on how to navigate this ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So we had just had Luke at the time and he was one years old. And while he was down there, he got his first haircut. So I missed that. And I was sad about that. Thankfully, she was with her family and her family is very close. And so she was obviously in good hands. But being a super type A, super driven guy, uh, especially in our early 20s and through our whole 20s. And I was up at 345 every single morning, pretty much seven days a week, even through having all three kids. I think we had our third kid by 28. Yeah, crazy. So I was really fortunate, though, also to have a great community. And we, we were really plugged into our church. And I can remember... I might've been 26 or 27 running my personal training business. And I had also opened up a yoga studio as well. And so I was really burning the candle from both ends. And I can remember a guy who was, who's older. I think he was in his late fifties, early sixties. And he took me aside and said, Hey, John, don't sacrifice your family for money. Mm. That, that was like groundbreaking for me. And I was like, you know what? I remember pulling up at my house one night and it was late. And I thought to myself, what am I doing here? I got to work a little bit smarter. I can't work 90 hours a week. So it's scale back to 60 or 70. But, but yeah, for young guys, young husbands who have young families, time is, you can always make money. Time is what, how you're going to grow your relationship with your wife and your kids. And you and I were just talking about the episode that I did with Mike McCarthy. So that makes sense that you just said that because he had that line in there that I'm sure stood out to you, which was be careful not to use the excuse of I'm doing this for my family to completely avoid spending time with your family. And you only have one, you only have young kids once. Yeah. And a lot of guys like us that are hard driven entrepreneurs will say and lie to themselves. And I have a good friend who's super successful. And he's, I love my family so much, which is why I work so hard. 
And it, it destroys your relationship because you're not there with your time. And I'm sure you saw my post on the GoBundance page about Father's Day and all of that. But I, that's my dad. So A, my dad was never involved in my life whatsoever. Part of him, he didn't want to be a father. And I get that. And I've accepted that and moved past that. It just, it, it was what it was. But also he was an air traffic controller. He's working 10 hours, 10 hours a day, six days a week. And we never, so we never saw him. And I've recently reconciled with him to a degree. I reached out to him for the first time in 10 years over a week or two ago. And we went golfing and had our first adult conversation. Last time I saw him was before I graduated college. And so we talked and he's able to give me like his perspective. And he was like, I was just a guy that thought that I had to work to be able to provide. And I never knew how to do the rest of the stuff. But as a kid, and as I am now looking back, did I give a shit about any of that? No, I just wanted my dad and he wasn't there. What pivots did you make? Or maybe let's hit a little bit about what people are doing wrong. Let's drive this point home a bit before we prescribe a solution here, because this is a conversation that we have over and again in the group. What, else, what other areas do you see people slipping yeah, it's interesting. Relationships, I don't know if you've ever done any, use the compass in a topographical map. It's called orienteering. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I'll give you the perspective here. So if you're using a compass and you're out orienteering and you're one or two degrees off, it doesn't seem like much when you go 50 feet or 100 feet, but when you're going two to three to four miles, you're way off of track. And that, that that we call it out of alignment. But that little, even that little bit coming into your relationship with your wife and your kids can severely take you off track. Not in a day, not in a week, but in five years, in 10 years. What happens when I sit down with guys and we go over our one sheets and we talk about the different pillars and your your happiness index, which is on the one sheet. And guys are saying that they have a hard time connecting with their wife. A lot of times I say, who's number one in your life? And guys get it, in my opinion, by the way, I'm going to, I don't care who says what, this is my opinion and it's worked for me and it's functional. When parents look at their kids and make them number one over their spouse, who was actually there before the kids, in my opinion, that is a dysfunctional household. That's what I would, that's what I would echo. Yeah. It's very functional when you know, my kids understand that, hey, my wife, that's my best friend. She was here before you guys and you guys are going to grow up and you're going to be out of the house and she's still going to be here. Where people get it wrong is focusing on their kids. And by the way, when their kids leave the house, that is a very common time for divorce because now it's okay. We're 20 years into our marriage. Who are we? Exactly. Who are you? Exactly. We don't even know each other. On my one sheet, I have all different things as I'm sure you do. But one of them is I go on a date night with my wife every single week. There's not a week that I miss. I take her away once a quarter, whether it be a short weekend, a long weekend, a week, whatever it is, once a quarter, we get away, just her and I. And we've done that throughout our entire marriage. And it has made a massive difference. Wow. Woo, man. You're hitting home. And I love having this conversation with you because it, and I think I posted something to the the tune of this in the group too, where it's, I feel very blessed to be able to be 
in the group as the young guy, as the fly on the wall, as monetarily the bottom of the totem pole, which it's okay with me. I'm still going to talk. It's okay with me. I'll create a podcast. <laughs> but it's it's really cool to be able to see all of you in different stages of your parenting journey and really be able to see the roadblocks to avoid and what to do. Oh, stay away from here. Oh, go this way. Don't go that way. And there's obviously different opinions. When it comes time for me to have kids, I'm going to feel so much better prepared. And I agree with you because I've heard that over and over again, because think back for people listening, think back to your childhood. Where do most traumas come from as an adult in your marriage, in your relationships, in your day-to-day life? And it was caused by a dysfunctional relationship in your childhood between your parents. So if you have a functional relationship with your spouse, you're saving a lot of money in therapy later down the road. Yeah. I grew up in a really tumultuous household. And Me too. I never knew what I was walking into. There was fighting a lot. And unfortunately, I was the youngest and I knew the writing was on the wall. Finally, when I was 13 or 14, my parents separated and divorced. And same. I said, you know what? I'm never, ever going to allow that to happen in my life. It's not going to happen. So my parents are my motivation on why I have such a great relationship. Oh, my God. Dude, see? We are friends. It was coming. God, who was it that told me that? I want to give the person credit that told me. Ah, sorry for whoever told me this that's listening. I'm sorry. I can't remember who to quote this to. But somebody, I said, yeah, I don't think me and my dad are going to be close. And they said, no, your dad is a major role model. I said, my dad's not a role model. He's not someone I want to be like. And they said, no, your dad is a major role model of what you don't want to be. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, he had some great qualities. Sure. Uh, but that, as a husband, especially growing up, his second marriage was successful. But as a husband growing up, man, it was not good. And and yeah, he taught me so much on, on what I wanted to do differently. So you're very intentional with your goals about setting time every single week with your wife on a date night. So you keep dating. So that's a that's an important takeaway. You go on a quarterly retreat with her where you take her and is that a weekend that you're gone or yeah so with her schedule with my schedule and with the kids sports schedules and their school schedule there's just a lot of moving parts so even if it's one or two nights away i'll give you a funny story last year we told everybody we were going to be out of town for the next three days i literally got a really baller hotel room 25 minutes from my house, we shut off our phones and no one knew where we were. And it was just, it was one of the most fun weekends that we had because we were just like off the grid completely. It's like we we're playing hooky from high school. And we, by the way, we were date. We've been dating since high school, since we were 16, but it was just like, no one can find us. No one can call us. We're out guys, but we were 20 minutes away. <laughs> I love that, man. And also, side note, hit about what is a one sheet for people that are listening that maybe aren't involved in GoBundance? That's an awesome question. And I'm glad you asked it for people who are not in GoBundance. A one sheet is basically, it starts out complicated where you are sorting out different areas of your life and putting them on spreadsheets and Microsoft Word and all that. And then you're funneling it into basically a one sheet about your life. So basically you you put your your horizontal income, your vertical income on there, 
your net worth on there. Then you put, you, f- you figure out, there's formulas to do all this, by the way. It's figured out how much you give, how generous you are in, in different charities. And then you're writing down bucket list items in your life and then things you want to be held accountable and highlights that you want to see going forward and highlights you've had moving from the year before. So it's a really cool one sheet uh, that's basically a snapshot of your life. Like a baseball card. Yeah, yeah and a, a little more complicated, but yes, yeah, it's all the stats. That's yeah, the stats. Yeah, it's that uh, the horizontal and the vertical. That's the active income and the passive income. And then we'll have our actual like quarter to date. And then you'll have your goals. So you'll have where you're at, where your goal is. So if you're too far away from your goal, then somebody in what's called your GoPod, which is we have groups of five to six guys that meet weekly, they'll say, hey, you've got a goal of $10 million net worth, but it's, we're going into Q3 and you're like $7 million away. Like, how are you going to fill this gap? And the cool thing that John's talking about is we do the same thing with, Hey, John, you missed a date night with your wife. Like you said, you were going on 52 date nights. And right now we're coming up towards the end of the year and you are at 30. What are you going to do to reconcile this? Do you have any, do you have any stories or examples of being called out like this? Because I've got plenty. (laughs) You know, what's, what's interesting. And one of the other things is how leveraged you are, right? That's on there. So your net worth and then how much you have borrowed that oh, you, recourse and non-recourse. Yeah, that you personally guaranteed. That's what recourse debt is. Non-recourse is not personally guaranteed. I'm, I don't know that I would say lucky. I'm careful on how far I stick my neck out, but a lot of guys get called out because yeah, they're making over a million a year and their net worth is high, but they're almost a hundred percent and some are over a hundred percent leveraged. And that's something that yes, we're entrepreneurs, so we want to take risks, but GoBundance recommends, I think, around 50 to 60%, which I'm right around 60%. What I've gotten called out on, yes, I had on my one sheet that I was going to learn the guitar, and and I have it. And my guitar is somewhere in this office (laughs) collecting dust. So literally, they were like, take it off of your one sheet. If you're not doing it, it's okay to take it off of your one sheet. That was a huge, that was a huge point of contention for me, where it's also a point of confusion for, I know a lot of new guys that are, have just joined GoBundance are from the show. So we can hit on this right now. And for people listening, this applies to when you're setting your goals. So when we talk about the goals, the one sheet is essentially the best way to create your goals on there is by the actions, right? So for like John, he'd put, okay, for this quarter, I want to go on 13 date nights with my wife. And then, so it's something that's trackable. And what I've seen over and over again is being held accountable to this. is just, it's crazy. It's a non-negotiable. It's something that needs to be done. And I can't see any other way of doing it. Like you can't do this by yourself. You need the extra help. I always say, Brian, that with my GoPod and with the Philly tribe and the national tribe and just everyone I'm constantly, I'm in touch with I would say five or six GoBundance men every day, 365 days a week. So I'm very blessed in that respect. But if you want to go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's an African proverb and it's the truth. And one thing I want to touch on because you were just talking about tracking different things. So I have a habit tracker, <coughs> excuse me, on my phone. I don't know what it cost me, 20 or 40 bucks a year. But I have in my habit tracker all the different things I want to accomplish each day. 
but then the habit tracker also allows you to put in what you want to accomplish like each week. So a date mm. night with Christine is there. I do Jimmy Shields, a friend of mine. He wrote a couple, couple different books. One is called 18 Summers. I think the other one's called The Family Boardroom. So I do a family boardroom with each one of my kids once a quarter where we have half a day together, or we do shortened ones more frequently. So as soon as we're done with this podcast, my daughter was saying, hey, dad, can you take me over to the driving range? She, we just got into golf. We're not quote unquote golfers yet. But that time with her, to me, it's not about the golf. It's just about the fun we're going to have, the conversation we're going to have. And so those connections, but that's all in my habit tracker. Yeah. And I lost my train of thought there a second. So my point before with the goals was David Osborne. He's like the king of goal setting. And he's one of the founders of Go Abundance. I'm actually talking to him again tomorrow, but he was talking about when it's time to scrap a goal. And this is on the one sheet. And then this is with your personal goals as well. If you're just not committed to it over and over again, sometimes you don't need to feel like a failure. Sometimes it's just not a priority. For me, learning Portuguese was on my one sheet. It's just not a priority. Out of all the different things that I'm doing, I just could not make those tick marks on the Portuguese. So it's okay to take things off and give yourself some grace. And so that's what I wanted to say before I completely blanked. Yeah. I mean, Tony Robbins says you you don't always get your wants, but you always get your standard. Okay. I love that one, man. So let's transition a bit to the real estate and how you built that up because now that was a defining and saving characteristic that got you through COVID because otherwise you would have been screwed. So talk about that transition from that 2008 property and how you scaled that portfolio up. Yeah. So 2000, it was probably 2000, I don't remember where I bought it exactly. 2006 probably because the market was super hot and that's why I got, so I didn't, there was no Burr is a word that's very trendy right now, the BRR or whatever. I was burring. I didn't even know what burring was. I just burned before burr, baby. I was burring before burr, before burr was a thing. So I took a line of credit on the house that we bought a house, did not ever factor it into being an asset, but we bought a house at 22 with everything we had in our savings account. And it appreciated really quickly. Again, I th- there was no plan in real estate here. So three years later, I borrowed, I took a line of credit for 75 grand, bought that house cash, renovated it. And then the bank, they overestimated, of course, at that time, it's 2006. So you could get a mortgage for whatever number. Nothing, you yeah. Had. No one even checked on these things. It was the wild west. So I got all my money back and then I went and did it again and did it again and did it again. Now it took me time because I was so new and I wasn't a contractor. I was a trainer. I knew how to manage people. But the people clearly I was hiring were not the greatest contractors at the time. So I think I went through, I'm going to say eight to 10 contractors on the first job. And it was a lot of sleepless nights. But anyway, and we got through that. I got a a tenant in there. We bought the next one and bought the next one. And then I'm going to say I joined GoBundance in 2018. And here's the cool story. So I did flip a bunch of properties as well in between those times of just holding. I wish I held everything, but I had to flip properties to get seed money to keep buying. 13 years later, I'm looking to join GoBundance. Mike McCarthy's a friend of mine. He's on, you need to join this GoBundance. I thought it was a charity. I didn't even know what it was. And I'm like, okay, I'll go to some meetings. These are my people. It's awesome. And then I started, I did that one sheet, like that net worth thing. And I didn't even know I was worth a million dollars at the time. I didn't track surprise, but I remember my passive income at the time was right around 60,000 net on the rentals. 
And, and I noticed when I sat down and did one sheets with other guys, they were like crushing it. And then I saw that the goal ultimately is to be a hundred percent freedom, time freedom. So you take your expenses and whatever your expenses are, your, if your net income passively is higher than that, then you're financially free, right? These are all new concepts to me because I was just working hard. And so that was four years ago. So this year I should, it looks very good that I'm going to exceed 300,000 in passive income. So if you're going from 60,000, take you 13 years to four years later, now over 300,000 of just net passive income, it all comes back to the tribe and what we were just talking about. Because when you become intentional, you sit yourself around other guys that are going to hold you accountable. You're going to have massive results quickly. I know some people are probably listening to this right now and they're like, so this guy makes $300,000 passively and you're talking about fatherhood? (laughs) Yeah, we are. Yeah. Because how you do one thing is how you do everything. And that's what makes it even more important is you built that while you are being intentional about spending time with your family and about going on those date nights with your wife. Because if you stop doing that, I can almost guarantee you other parts of your business would slip because you don't have your integrity anymore. Yep. That's a hundred percent. So what was, what method? So you were burring. So walk us through the timeline there. Did you start going into multifamily? Like how did you get your passive up to 300,000 from a complete disaster in 2008? Good question. Yeah. So I, from 2008 to when I no, 2006 anyway. 2006. The, the 2018, we were just buying single families at that time. I think I had maybe one or two multi, small multis. And I was also, like I said, I was flipping for seed money to keep buying more properties. But then in talking to the guys, I started thinking about the smaller multis because you get two and three and four and five doors at once. So it's going to increase your passive income faster. So I just started focusing on getting the smaller multi and I shifted where I was primarily buying in Philadelphia at the time where the cap rate is lower than other areas outside of Philadelphia. So I, this is going to sound funny. I don't know if you've ever heard of Scranton, Pennsylvania. The office is. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say that was coming. (laughs) A good buddy of mine takes me up there and he's, he's a champion. He's got a massive net worth. He's John, I'm doing these things up here. He's like, the cap rates are crazy. So I literally started buying out there and I was getting much higher return on my investment. So that greatly helped boost what I was doing. And then I started two years ago investing with a friend of mine that buys land and he would just need money short term and he was giving me a high return. So between buying the small multis out in Scranton, that really helped increase my my passive income. And then making these shorter term, almost like hard money lending really helped build that, that passive net worth. Okay. So then that is that, so what percentage of your passive is the hard money interest? That big chunk? 33%, I would say in 66. So like about 200,000 in the long-term holds and then a little over a hundred thousand in, in, in short-term lending. Nice. How do you get into short-term lending? Is there a certain portion that you need liquid? Is there any kind of rhyme or reason to it? Or is it just whenever you feel like lending money privately? Yes. So I'm not a private lending company. Please don't reach out to me for that. I'm connected with a good friend of mine. He's developed, he's a land developer and there that he buys so many so quickly and he's that you only have a certain amount of money and his net worth is super huge as well. But I always get into a first position or now I'm lending him on 
like bridge loans as well. The return's really good. And he's he gets us our money back in three to six months. So I don't have a company that does this. I literally have one guy that I invest with and he needs money every few months and it, it kicks back a lot. So is there a certain amount that you would recommend to people? Maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, I've got some cash in the bank. Is there even a general recommendation? Or if it's just like you got fifty, a hundred thousand dollars and you feel like lending it out and you trust the person, you just take and maybe talk about how you structure that, like you said, against the asset. Maybe hit on that a little bit too for someone that's sure. listening that's unfamiliar. Yeah, a lot of times he will he'll already outright own land, but he needs to buy other land. So he so then me lending to him, I become the bank right mm-hmm. off of that. And then there's like a confession of judgment that he will sign, and I will also put it. It'll go through the title company. It'll get notarized. And it gets recorded that I now have a mortgage on this land. God forbid things would have fall apart. I can repossess that land and come after him personally, um, which thank God I haven't had to do. But yeah, you want to structure and also obviously talk to an attorney sure. looking over all of your paperwork because there can be little loopholes that are in there that can mess you up. You don't want that. You don't want to sand in your swimsuit. <laughs> Yeah, very fair. Okay, so lending the money is a lucrative side business. And then how many units are yielding? You said about the hundred, some odd thousand uh, or two hundred. You've got the two hundred yeah, net, net after paying all the mortgages around. Yep, right around two hundred thousand. Sure. And then what's that portfolio set up as? Like how many doors? Yeah. Fifty I think I'm around fifty-four, fifty-seven doors, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. All right. So fifty fifty-seven doors bringing in 200 pass. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Also, some of them I own all cash. So that that plays into it. And it's tough for guys watching this just to give you some inside information. Some banks may do it, but when you own assets, all cash in real estate and you're, it's under a company, it's really hard to get a HELOC on that stuff. So if you like want to try and pull money out, I'm sure you can do it. And again, I'm not an expert in that. And I like having some of the properties, I like owning some of them all cash as well, because that again, keeps me at the 60% mark as far as how far I'm sticking my neck out. Is there any rhyme or reason behind which properties you decide to go ahead and pay all cash for and go ahead and wipe that out and which ones that you do want to take leverage on? If I have a a pretty good amount of dry powder, then I'll buy it all cash. But now I've switched where I only want to put 20%, which is, I think, usually the lowest amount you can put in. Maybe there, again, maybe there's other companies that can, that will lend, but I put out 20% now and then they mortgage the 80%. And a lot of times in real estate, lenders will only lend at 75% or 70% when you do commercial mortgages. I have a guy that does 80%. So I don't buy all cash now, but I have in the past. Okay. That's awesome because you see these guys that, especially nowadays where they're going around and they're saying, I've got 10,000 units, I've got 5,000 units, and they're syndicating all these units. And that's not a dig. We have a lot of syndicators on the show. Like We got Brandon coming on. He's syndicating at mobile home parks. Uh, is that something that you're going to get into? What are the pros and cons of doing that versus just the 57 units? Because you've got your 57 and they're already printing yeah. out 200 plus. Yeah, I've I've sat down with quite a few guys that do this, Matty Faircloth and Sean McGovern. And, Matt's coming on. And Matt, he I love him. He's the best. 
anyway, I've sat down with a lot of these guys and I just kind of pick their brain on what it looks like. And to me, I just like running my own thing. Like it's literally me and my wife. We do have a managed property management company that oversees it, but I don't sure. have to answer to other investors and I have my sanity. Like that's really important for me. It's just when I talk to these guys that syndicate, and I've invested twice now with Sergio in self-storage units. Sergio, come on the freaking podcast, yeah, man. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's other guys I've invested with. I've probably invested with six or seven different GoPros. And that's great because again, it's just going to be another passive, passive, stream. passive play. But, but the truth is for me, I don't want to have to deal with all of those moving parts that, that they do. And that's cool. I think it's great. And I'm not shutting it down. Maybe in the future I will, but for right now in my life, I keep it really simple and it's working. Keep it. Yeah. You got to keep it as simple. Less is more. Like, honestly, and even with my unit, people think that you need, they're like, there's so many different ways to go about this journey, right? So you've got your journey where you're making this much off of 57 units. You've got another person's journey that they're making half off of five times as many units. You've got another person's journey making 2000 units. And then you've got me that has four units and a podcast. And that produces enough cash flow for me to go travel around the world. So there's so many different ways to go about this and structuring businesses and creating businesses. If you could go back, would you still go about this the same? Would you start in real estate sooner? Is there anything that you would change? Any different changes that you'd make for John back at 23 years old, 24 years old after having those first couple of kids? I would hold way more properties. Then okay. I sold. And that just, that honestly, it comes from experience. So if I were to give my younger self advice, I would say, don't try and go and flip five properties at once. Buy one or two of them, slow it down and hold that and hold as much as you can, because real estate as a whole is always the trajectory is going to be up. There's a little leveling out and maybe little dips, but as a whole, God's not making more land. So no. the more you own, is the more you're going to have in the future. It's going to create your future. Yeah. And you don't ever hear anyone in the retirement home. I base my life off of, if you go to any retirement home across the country and you ask them, Hey, do you regret traveling or buying real estate? Like the only thing that they're going to say is, Hey, I regret that I didn't travel enough and that I didn't buy that real estate. Because all of us have those parents, grandparents that are like, oh, I remember when I bought that piece of property back in 1975 and it was $10.75. <laughs> I love it, brother. I'm not saying hold everything either, guys. What sure. I am saying, because I mean, you got to let the dogs go. Like sometimes you just, if there's a problem property and it's keeping you up at night and you're just like, dude, I got to drop this and then sell it. The peace of mind is more important. But all I'm saying is if you can hold as much as possible. Awesome. Awesome, man. So what's next for you? What's the vision for the next three to five years? Man, like we started the show, spend as much time with my family as possible. My kids are getting older. They're all teenagers now. My oldest is 18. My daughter's 16. My youngest is 13. And then create experiences. So my wife and I, we used to go crazy at Christmas time and all of that. And now what we do is we're like, yo, guys, you can get X amount towards each of you. Let's pick an experience. And so we'll go away on different experiences. We've been to the Atlantis, which is an amazing place. In the Bahamas? 
Yeah, yeah. It's an awesome resort. Took the kids, just they'll remember it for life. And Luke's 10th, no, he was fifth when he was 15, 14 or 15. On his birthday, we flew to Iceland for a week and just got different Airbnbs. My wife has taken our oldest over on a missions trip to St. Lucia. And that was just an awesome experience for him to go serve the people there. I've been to East Africa for three weeks on a missions trip to Ethiopia and Kenya with a team of four checking out, helping with clean water wells, financing women in education in these different communities. And uh, these type of experiences, like it's amazing. God, that's freaking awesome. Especially with the idea of for Christmas, you say, hey, what experience do you want? Because yeah. so people say money can't buy unha- can't buy happiness. And I would agree to a certain extent materially, but when it comes to experience, I would make that argument. Exactly. And the other thing too, parents, is we also give them for Christmas a certain amount of money that they can put towards a charity. So we will present. Oh, so good. Yeah. So instead of them getting the Christmas present, they're able to give a present to someone they don't even know. So they can, and they can pool their money together. It's cool. So we'll have like four or five, six different charities. And you're like, guys, you can pool your money together. You can figure out how to do that. You can sponsor kids. You can buy this village X amount of goats or whatever, mosquito nets. There's all kinds of stuff. So we'll do a give gift and an experience gift. God, that's so cool, man. I'm making notes of all this, man. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll have, by the time I do have kids, which I'm planning for three, three to five year range. We'll see. But then again, you never know. You know what happens. Yeah. We'll see, man. Not trying to have any, I'm not trying to have any grease babies. You know what I mean? (laughs) My wife graduated with her master's degree in elementary ed in September and we had Luke in October. It's been a, it's been a blessing. It was scary in the beginning though. Absolutely, brother. Where can people find you, man, if they want to connect to learn more? I'm not like, I don't have anything even really to promote. The whole reason I hopped on this show and I'm going to hop on other podcasts is I put it on my one sheet that I'm going to get on because one of my goals this year is to make a larger impact on the world. So I put on my one sheet that I'm going to jump on 10 different podcasts this year. And so, made it. yeah, you can find me on Facebook, John Edwin. You can find me on Instagram at strength personal training again at strength personal training and uh, hey i'm here i'm here to help you guys and that's it i'm not asking for anything actually i'll tell you what within the future my wife and i have been talking about bucket list and writing a book on marriage and family so in the future maybe i'll come back on the show to promote the book and get it out there there we go you guys heard it first pre-order john's thought baby book (laughs) i love it brother I appreciate you coming on, man. And I'm honored to be one of your one of your one sheet takeoffs, man. Appreciate it. Cheers. Honored. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, buddy. This has been John Edwin and Brian Lubin with the Action Academy Podcast. Signing off. Let's go. I am.